A preacher, he took his um, watch off because he wanted to know what the time was. And uh, a woman said to her husband, what does that mean? And the husband said, not a lot. So, I'm going to try and keep to time this morning. I want to read you a letter that a male student wrote to his parents when he was in the last term at university. And it went like this. Hi, Mum and Dad. Thought I'd write and let you know. A few weeks ago, I fell down a cliff and broke my leg. I've been taken to hospital. Things aren't going well, and they're talking about amputation. But I've met a lovely nurse, and we hit it off straight away. And last week, we got married. I'm sure we'll get on well, in spite of all our differences, and in spite of the fact that we've got a 30-year age difference. I had all my money stolen last week out of my bank accounts. But I went to see a loan shark, and that's fine. I took out a loan for £5,000. I'm okay. By now, Mum and Dad, you're probably wondering if I've gone off the rails. At this point, I need to say that everything I've just told you was a lie. What is true is that last week, I failed my university final exams. I just wanted you to get this in the proper perspective. (laughs) Apparently, that was a true letter. And I want to get things in the perspective this morning, and hopefully that will become a bit more clearer as we go through. How has your week been? How has today started for you? All plain sailing, or have you had a few bumps in the road? Have you had arguments with your loved ones, with your neighbours? Have you been presented with situations that you didn't know what to do with? Or situations where things went wrong? Have things suddenly gone well for you, and then for no explanatory reason, it's all gone awry and all gone wrong, and you can't understand why? Have you made some bad choices this week, or today even? I heard a pastor once who compared converting to Christianity to that of a luxury ocean cruise. He said, becoming a Christian is a relaxed and enjoyable atmosphere where laughter and smiles abound. It's not uncommon when you suddenly become a Christian to be treated with kindness by nearly everyone. People saying, isn't that great? And patting you on the back. He said his early journey was like that. But as he read the Bible and deepened his relationship with the Lord he gradually realized that a cruise is not an accurate representation of a Christian's spiritual walk. As we journey through our Christian life, yeah, we do experience moments of a good cruise. Not that I've ever been on one, but people say that they're really very good. But sometimes our Christian life can resemble being aboard a battleship. I've not been on one of those either. I know Pete might have done or knows about them. In many ways, the spiritual journey of a Christian is better described as an experience aboard a battleship sometimes. 
Because we as believers, we accept Jesus as our personal saviour. We automatically enlist in the camp of the faithful. But as soon as we do that, God's opponents and God's enemies become our enemies. Who are God's opponents? Well, there's many of them. But there's one in particular. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, John writes, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I wonder if we could put the first slide up, Malcolm, please. I want you to picture the scene. It's June 1944. I'm not sure if any of us were alive then. Well, yes, there are one or two people here who were alive in June 1944. But after a 24-hour weather delay, the largest military operation in the history of warfare was about to begin. Preceded by an aerial bombardment of coastal defences and 13,000 paratroopers dropped behind enemy lines, 5,000 ships and we're told 156,000 soldiers were going to storm the beaches of Normandy, France. D-Day has arrived. Just before the invasion of Normandy, General Eisenhower, who was in charge, issued a now famous letter to all the soldiers and sailors and airmen of the Allied forces. In it, he let them know that they were about to embark upon the Great Crusade to bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. In instilling confidence in the invasion force, Eisenhower did not in any way suggest that the task would be easy or that the enemy would be defeated quickly. Instead, he wrote these words, your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. The general wanted his troops to understand the grim reality of the battle that was going to confront them. Failure to do so would only lead to greater casualties. Imagine the carnage on the beaches of northern France if the soldiers got off the landing craft, perhaps at Omaha Beach, and didn't realise that they were going to be shot at. They weren't prepared, but they were. Eisenhower had gone and prepared them. But you know, that's often what happens regarding our spiritual enemy, Satan. At times, perhaps we as Christians do not give much thought to the reality of our spiritual enemy. And we neglect taking what Ephesians 6 says should be the whole armour of God. Some of us feel uncertain about statements when we talk about spiritual warfare or Satan's having a go at us, perhaps because we don't understand. Well, I want to unpack that a bit this morning. Perhaps, you know, we have a caricature of what Satan is like. You know, that image of uh, a short red goat man with a pitchfork and horns. No, that's not the Bible picture. 
Despite the fact that the devil was decreed, defeated at the cross, God has allowed him to remain, to retain, sorry, limited access and limited power until the day he is eternally judged. So Satan continues to prowl the earth. He prowls our families. He prowls our workplace. He prowls our leisure place. He prowls like a roaring lion in search of prey. And as he does, causes chaos in society. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And what is that faith? It's the faith that hopefully we've all said that we have in God. The faith we have in Jesus Christ, God's son. That is what we have to hold on to. And that will overcome the devil or Satan. I heard a minister claim once that dead rattlesnakes are capable of turning round and biting people even after they're dead for a while. It's reported that people have hit rattlesnakes on the head with shovels or stood on them. And then suddenly they've gone to pick them up to throw them away and have turned around and bit them. This perhaps is a great depiction of the devil. Today, Satan is attempting to bite us believers. Although his head has been crushed at the cross, he still attempts to bite. I'm going to read verses, um, uh, read from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18, and it will be up on the screen. And it's entitled, The Armour of God. Finally, be strong. This is written by Paul. And Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And Paul was in prison when he actually wrote this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can hide, that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fiercely as I should. 
So God provides six aspects of the Christian life plus prayer at the end to strengthen and protect us and ultimately help us to triumph when we're in a spiritual battle. The Bible tells us that we are in a war and our adversary Satan is bent on destroying us because he doesn't like what's going on. Paul addressed this in that passage where he talks about us putting on the whole armour of God. Have you realised the word put is an action verb? It means action. It's not just something we say. It says in what we just read, and we'll look at it a bit more in a minute, put on the armour of God. Paul was in prison when he, he wrote this. And he'd obviously looked at the Roman army and he drew a comparison between the physical army and spiritual armour of God. Sometimes we get discouraged, don't we, as Christians? We think the whole world's against us. We Things aren't going right. And that's the time we should not be discouraged. I'm sure you do, but if not, a tip, when things aren't going well, do we ever say, Christ is my Lord, Christ is my Saviour, you have no place, Satan, in my life, in the things that are not going right. Satan, go away and call on the name of Christ, because Satan hates the word Christ. Satan hates the word Christ. So, let's do that this week if there are issues in our life that we're struggling with or we think things aren't going right. Verse 11, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When I read this sometimes, I smile to myself. Why? Because it shows me time and again what a loving and caring God we have. You know, God had everything planned out. I've heard people who said, yeah, well, things, if you read the Bible, things went wrong. So God had to think of plan B. And then when it wrong again, he had to think of plan C. No, no, no. God had it all planned out in the first place. You only have to look in the creation, in Genesis, when he talks about his son Jesus coming. Have you realized in Genesis it talks about we? Who do you think we is? God is talking about his son Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. He knows what's going to happen and he's got those plans in place. When Jesus was taken up into heaven, God didn't think, oh dear, what do I do now? He'd already planned for the Holy Spirit to be there on earth amongst us, with us this morning. He knew that Satan was going to attack us so he made plans for that. What a loving and caring God we have. Verse 12 of what we read. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. All this is happening behind the scenes in the spiritual world, but it has great influence over us. I sometimes picture the devil as a little voice, sometimes on my shoulder. 
And he's saying, go on, Martin, go on, you can do that. Go on, you can say that about that person. It's not really bad. Go on, they won't mind. Go on, say it. Go on, you can do that, you can do that. It's not really wrong, but you can do it. And all the time he's biting, he's sitting there having a go in our ear, trying to get us off on straight and narrow. And that's when we need to stay close to our Father God and to resist those voices coming to us. Paul continued in Ephesians, take up the whole armour of God. Stand up, he says. What does it mean to stand? Paul was emphasising that with God's help, we will be able to hold the line. We won't retreat. We won't give up. We won't give in to that voice in our shoulder, that voice in our ear. Paul lists the individual elements. And let's uh, have a look. The first thing he talks about is the belt. Do you know what? The belt was often the first bit of equipment that a soldier put on because it secures all the other bits of the armour. Wearing the belt showed that the soldier was ready for action because you'd only loosen his belt when he went off duty. And I would like to say that we're never off duty. We're always on duty, so always have the belt of truth. And what is the truth? Knowing and believing our Father God is the ultimate. Number two, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. For most of us, the breastplate, the, the, the breastplate or the breast, if you like, the front of us, is the largest part of our body. And this is really important. Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now that's a word that is often used in Christian circles, but do you know what righteousness means? I wanted to check that I knew what it means, so I looked it up. It's the quality of being right in the eyes of God, including our character, our conscience, our conduct, and a command. It's the quality of being right in the eyes of God. So to put on the breastplate so we can be right in the eyes of God. Without that breastplate of righteousness, we leave ourselves open to Satan's attacks. But to be righteous first, we have to repent and say sorry and then acknowledge God and Jesus as our saviour. In Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 59, it talks about iniquities. And again, that's another word that I thought, I wonder what iniquity really means. It means a wicked act or something immoral. But Isaiah 59 says that iniquities can separate you from the love of God. So iniquity is the opposite of righteousness. If we remove our breastplate, we're allowing those attacks to come in. Let's go to the next one. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Shoes might not be the most exciting piece of armour. But a Bible commentary that I looked up said this. The military successes, both of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar, were due in large measure to, of their armies being well shod and thus able to undertake long marches at incredible speed over rough terrain. 
They could only do what they did with the right shoe wear. It talks about the shoes of the gospel of peace. So we should be eager to preach the gospel of peace. God's command as Christians is to go out and announce the good news of God's kingdom to the world. And in another concordance I read, it said, the sandals of the Roman soldiers were often fitted with nails or armed with spikes. So when they were standing, it made them firm in the ground. So again, to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace, to stand firm for what we believe and not allow Satan to have any part of our lives. The next one, the shield of faith. When we have faith in God's power and our love is strong, it is impossible, yes, impossible for Satan to break through. He can't. Because God is keeping us strong. We are keeping our relationship strong. We're proclaiming him as our Lord. Faith means more than just believing that God exists though. It includes a firm belief that what God does is truly for our benefit. God will always do what he promised. And that is amazing, isn't it? Because there's loads of promises in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. And God is true to those promises. Faith protects us in many ways. A few Sundays ago when I was standing here and talking about faith, I used the analogy F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. Again, God's promises are right and to be trusted and held on to. Never wavered from at all. But Satan will come in sometimes and say, I don't believe that. Yeah, believe that one. Don't believe that one. Don't believe that one. No, no. Again, in our ears, sitting on our shoulder. I'm sure some of you will know about the story of Daniel. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. He had a strong faith that God would look after him. And then his three accomplices, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, great names, aren't they? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've always wondered if someone would name any of their children those today. Can you imagine? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were protected from the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to go and bow down to the heathens, to the heathen images. And they said no. They said no. They had a strong faith that God would save them, whatever. And he did. They didn't waver at all. And that was Satan working through Nebuchadnezzar, trying to get them away from God and do something else. The shield of faith is not just for personal protection. The Roman soldiers, they had a strategy often of joining shields together. They'd be in a line and they would lock shields because they were going to be stronger together than on their own. What a great illustration of the church. When we come together, where we're strong together, where we encourage each other, where we pray with each other, we meet together, our shields are locked together so that the evil one cannot get through. And then we come to the helmet of salvation. 
I remembered our, our late queen once when she was meant to wear one of the crowns that she wore at one point and apparently off the record she said to one of her aides do I really have to wait do I have to really have to wear that it's so heavy and apparently looking at that I'm thinking exactly the same there we can receive tremendous hope from the sacrifice that Jesus gave us a helmet you know protects our head what is in our head our brain our mind it's this that Satan tries to invade tries to get hold of us our response should be no Satan I am saved by the blood of Jesus you have no place in my life and as David wrote in Psalm 27 the Lord is my light and salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is my strength of whom shall I be afraid? We don't need anything else. And then we come to the sword of the spirit. And you know, all the other ones we've just talked about were for defense mechanisms. This is for going on the offensive. The sword of the spirit, like that's, that, that picture there is what was called the Roman gladius. It was a Roman sword used from about the year 2016 to the year 20 BC. It was about 25 inches long, um, the blade, and the sword was a bit longer. The sword can help us conquer all our enemies, including the most difficult ones. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of souls and spirits and of joints and marrow. Remember how Jesus then used the word of God to defeat Satan. In Matthew 4, on three occasions, Matthew said, and Jesus said, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Away from me, Satan, said Jesus. But a sword becomes blunt after a while, after use. Our swords won't stay sharp on their own. We need to sharpen our swords. How do we do that? Someone said to me uh, a few months ago, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. And I was intrigued by that statement and I wanted to unpack it and did a bit more. But I realized that as he was talking to me, he'd never really found Christ. He'd gone to church every Sunday when he was a young person, when he was a child with his parents who were Catholics. And he really enjoyed going. And he could recite so many things in the Bible. And he thought, yeah, I'm a Christian. But I don't need to go to church, he said. That's where he's wrong. Because by meeting in church, by worshipping, by reading the Bible, by praying, coming together, that's how we sharpen the sword to be on the offensive. By studying the word of God daily. Do you? Do you? Do I? Do we study the word of God daily? Weekly? Monthly, 
When was the last time you opened the book called the Bible and read in there? But by studying the word of God, we can have his wisdom in the forefront of our minds, ready to help us make wise choices. And then at the very end of the passage in Ephesians, we come to this bit, the power of prayer. Paul ends this section encouraging us to pray fervently for ourselves, for each other, for the work of the church. When did you last pray for your partner, for your parents, for your children, for your neighbours, for your friends in the church family? Pastor Dave gave us that challenge last week. At the end of Ephesians that we read, it says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication, and for the saints and for me, that utterance may be given, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And that wasn't just about Paul. In the New Testament, we're told, Christ says, go out and preach to all nations, make disciples, preach, be bold. The church and each one of us in the church moves forward. Praying reminds us of the battle, reminds us of the source of our strength and defense and tells God that we're fully committed to him. You know what? Prayer and Bible study are probably two of the most important tools that we can have as Christians. So Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the home armor of God. For some of you this morning, that might be the first time you've come across that. If it is, can I urge you to go back and look at Ephesians 6 and read it in your own time? I know in, in my life and in Anna and my life in our family, there have been times in our life when Satan has truly tried to get through and we feel we've been in a battle and we've been in spiritual warfare. And the first thing my wife always reminds us is proclaim the name of Jesus first of all because the devil, Satan, hates that name and will run for the hills. And then the second thing to say is Satan, you have no place in my life. Go, go. And I want to urge you to do that in your walk with Jesus Christ. When things are getting hard, when things are going wrong. Last Sunday, we had a great time of worship and a great word from Pastor Dave. Satan would not have liked that. What happened an hour after that? There was trouble outside. There was intimidation. Dave was nearly threatened. Things have been going well. The devil didn't like it, so the devil came in. Later that afternoon, we received an email from an occult organization offering us a sizable donation. 
we've refused the donation because we didn't feel it was right. Why did that happen after a great time of worship when Jesus was proclaimed high? Satan was trying to get in, but we didn't let him get in. This morning, there were a number of people who were to have a significant part in our worship this morning in preparation. I got a phone call at Hopper 7 this morning from someone who was to be here helping, to be on the door. We can't get out of our house because we're flooded. Someone else who was to prepare for communion. I can't come. I've been flooded. What have we been talking about? Satan getting to us. I've been preparing to speak on that this week. And I'm not any pleasure or focus on me. But God knew that. And this morning, come in the door. And Satan didn't want this morning to happen. But it has happened. And we're here saying, thank you, Jesus, for what you mean in my life. So each morning, I'm going to give you the challenge as I finish here. When you awake in the morning, some of you will probably lie in bed thinking, oh, shall I have a duvet day today? (laughs) I don't want to get out. I don't want to face what's got to face. Some of you might be straight out, oh, I can't wait for today. It's great. However you feel, can I ask you before you do anything else to say, God, protect me today from the evil one. Can I then ask you to tell God how much you love him and his son Jesus, how much he's done for you. And then can I ask you to put on the whole armor of God. And if you're not sure what that is, open up to Ephesians 6. Or just have, by your bed, the, diff, the, the, the six different, the shield and the breastplate and everything. And say, equip me, God, for all that I'm going to do today. Because I want to do it according to your will for my life. And not from what Satan might try and do. Let's pray. Our Father God, we want to shout your name high because you mean so much to each one of us. We thank you for your creation. We thank you for giving us your son Jesus who died on that cross and that helped us as a path to get back to you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is with us every minute and second of every day giving us the power and strength and the wisdom to live the life that you want us to to live. Father, thank you that with your power, we can conquer the evil one. We can conquer Satan. And I say right now, Satan, that you have no place in this church. You have no place in any of our lives. Go, flee. But as Ephesians 6 reminds us, we need to do that for ourselves. No one can do that for us. So Father, help us each morning to give you the thanks and glory for what you've done in our lives. 
help us to put on the armor of God to withstand the Satan, the evil one, so that things won't go wrong. We will say the right things to people. We will do the right actions, not the wrong things that bring discredit and bring hurt and hatred to people. Father, thank you for who you are and what you mean to us. Help us to be the people that you desire us to be this morning. Amen.